welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My brother and his family are here. He loves attention, so I was just going to bring attention to him. He's in the back. He looks slightly like me, just a little shorter. He's always giving me a hard time. He says every time he calls me, he says there's either a child screaming in the background or I'm like something crazy is happening or like some weird command I'm giving out like Micah, put the knife down. No, don't do that. And like I don't have to say that to Micah. But my brother's always like, man, you're always either like somebody's hurt, somebody's about to die, someone's crying, someone like something crazy is happening in your household. You know, we have four little kids. Right now it's five, four, three, and nine months. And so it's intense. And one thing that I've noticed about having little kids, and especially a loud house, like I'm loud, my kids are loud, Lydia's quiet, I feel bad for her, she's like the quietest one in our household. Poor Lydia. But one thing that I've noticed about having a loud house is 
it sometimes stresses you out without even knowing. Like, man, we'll have people over and a kid will start screaming and you can see the other person physically change. They're like starting to get stressed out. Lydia's sister, Tabitha, always says, she's like, I don't think you guys hear crying anymore. But it is interesting, like with noise and things going on, man, it just starts to stress us out. You know what I mean? The more you have going on, the more tension you have, even in your own body, the more things going on in your life, the more noise you have, just the more stressed out you get, even without even knowing. It's interesting, like when you'll read a book on counseling or something, and sometimes they'll tell you like, okay, relax your shoulders. And it's like, what? You're talking to me. And you like, relax your shoulders. Oh, I was stressed. Or like, breathe. You know, like some of you are probably like shaking your leg right now because you're just in a tense mood. Some of you are probably like tense because you're just stressed from the week. And we have all these things going on and this noise going on that causes stress, temptation to anxiety, temptation to be frustrated or angry. And it starts to work itself out in grumbling and complaining. And this Philippian church, they had a lot going on. You know, we saw their beginnings, right? Paul went to them to Philippi and Lydia got saved in her household. They freed a slave woman from demonic oppression and most likely got saved. They saved a jailer in his household, and the church in Philippi was born. And it's really cool to see the origin. And now here they are. They're an established church with elders and deacons and leaders, but they have a lot going on. Their beloved Paul, their beloved apostle, is in prison. Their beloved apostle it has opponents who are preaching the gospel to harm him, preaching the gospel to make him look bad. They have these teachers within the church that are teaching things contrary to Paul to get them to doubt their faith or doubt their salvation or doubt what God is doing in them. They have tensions in there. That's why it says, you know, consider other people's interests more important than your own. Then there's a well-known argument that's going on within the church. If you look at Philippians 4 with Euodia and Syntyche, two women, two ladies that are having conflict that isn't just between them two, but it's affecting the whole church. And so there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of noise. And they need somebody to remind them their purpose and their mission in this Christian life. Amen? And so I say this because I think it's really fitting for us in the season that we're in just as a church and a church globally and church in the United States we feel a lot of tensions right now. We feel a lot of things going on. And we're starting to, like the Philippians, might mix in with the world and we're looking like them by complaining and grumbling. You guys feel that? Like I feel like everywhere I turn, and I'm included in this, we're complaining and grumbling about something. Nothing's good enough. And it's making us mix with the world. I asked Scott to start at 127 because from 127, Paul starts, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And from there till 218, where our passage ends, he's telling them how to live a life worthy of the gospel. Two weeks ago, we saw 
how to live a life worthy of the gospel is take the example from Jesus and live selflessly. Give of yourself. Consider other people's interests more important than your own. And it's because Jesus did that for us. He humbled himself to the point of death, giving himself fully. He didn't stay in the garden praying, you know, take this cup for me. He got up and he gave of himself, went to the cross. And then we saw last week, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not work for your salvation, it's to work out your salvation. I'm not going to go through a bunch of that. If you guys want to understand that better, listen to the sermon last week. And then here we are in our passage, Philippians 2, 14 through 18, and the big picture is do not grumble or complain. And so we're going to be looking at it with three points. Point number one, do not grumble and question. Point number one, do not grumble and question. Point number two, instead, hold fast and hold out. Point number two, instead, hold fast and hold out. Point number three, rejoice with me. Point number three, rejoice with me. So if you're taking notes, point number one, do not grumble and complain. Point number two, instead hold fast and hold out. Point number three, rejoice with me. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our passage. Heavenly Father, you are almighty God. You are so powerful that you can use things in history to write a story. You can use things like even in Joseph's life, what they meant for evil, you meant for good. You're almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, and you're king. And Jesus, you are sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. Though we don't presently see it, it is true, and you're putting your enemies under your feet. And so we ask today that as we read your word, as we study your word, that we would see you as sovereign Lord, in control, helper, that you care for us, you love us, and you have the best in mind for us. You are wise. You pick the very best things for us to make us into the image of Jesus. So we know that you know all options, you've weighed everything, and you're like, where I have you is best for you because I care for you. And I ask that you would help us through your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please help us to understand this, be amazed by it, be impacted by it, and let these truths of who you are, what you're doing, help us live the life that you call us to live without grumbling, complaining, and in so doing, being lights to the world. We love you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that your life, death, and resurrection be the thing that gets us going, pushes us, and transforms us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, point number one, do not grumble and question. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and questioning. And so what's the command here? Do everything. Everything you do. It's very basic, right? Everything you do, do it without grumbling and questioning. And so what's grumbling? Grumbling 
is a murmuring or a muttering internally. It's a secret displeasure. You know, sometimes it works it out physically in a rolling of your eyes or like a downcast look in your face. Do everything without secretly complaining. So it's going to attack all of our lives because it's not just saying, hey, put a filter on it. Don't complain. Don't verbally complain. It's actually saying even within your own heart, the secret parts of your heart, the secret parts of your mind that only you and God know, do everything without displeasure or complaining. Isn't that crazy? Like that's a high calling. Do everything without murmuring, rolling your eyes, or secretly complaining. And then the second one is do all things without questioning or disputing. You could say also kind of complaining. This one is more logical and this one's more outward. And so this one is do everything without arguing. It's not saying you can't argue or you can't question somebody, but it is saying what's the purpose of it? The way you can tell if you're questioning in a sinful way is what does it produce? Is it producing other people complaining? Is it producing other people to let their secret murmurs come out? Like you see that in a group setting. People might all be displeased secretly, and then one guy stands up and is like, hey, and disagrees, and everybody's, rah, 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 and that's the murmur, 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 murmur. You know, everybody's murmuring and complaining and disgusted by it, and it's causing division, it's causing complaints, it's causing conflict. And so it's not a questioning to build up. It's not a questioning to really understand what's happening, to better help the situation. It's a questioning to actually show your displeasure and cause displeasure and cause conflict. Make sense? And so Paul is calling us to do everything. How do we live a life worthy of the gospel? Do it without questioning or grumbling. It's a high calling. It's going to affect every aspect of our lives and who we are. And why should we do this? Look at verse 15. It says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so why should we not question and grumble that you may be blameless and innocent without blemish? And so the three words that it gives here are just pictures of being without reproach, without blame. And so no one should be able to blame you. Hey, you live a life of complaining. Hey, you live a life of sin. A life worthy of the gospel is a life lived without clear reason to blame you for something. And in this specifically, it's talking about questioning and grumbling. And so do you live a life that somebody can blame you, she or he is a complainer. Oh, she or he, he is, man, always grumbling. You know, because some of you don't always, you know, say your complaints, but you could tell physically that, man, that person is a complainer. That person does not like what's going on. And in those moments, we're living a life not worthy of the gospel. That doesn't mean we're, we're not saved. I'm not saying that. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about living a life worthy of the calling that God has called us to. Now, letting that salvation, that gospel that saved us, work itself out 
in the way that we live, letting it affect every aspect of our lives. And, so, and why should we do it? So that in the midst of our culture, in the midst of these non-believers, these crooked and twisted generation, that we would be blameless and innocent and without blemish. And we should live a life innocent, blameless, and without blemish. Make sense? And it gives a very strong picture of the world outside of us. It says, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. These words, crooked and twisted, it would remind you of Deuteronomy 32, where the Israelites were complaining against God. They were complaining and grumbling against God, and God basically let them go and, and called them a twisted and crooked generation. And what's crazy is God is calling this this world, the non-believers, a crooked and twisted generation. But what's happening? The believers in Philippi are acting just like them. The believers in Philippi are letting their lives kind of mix with the non-believers and act like them. And so what's cool is Paul's not saying they're grumbling and questioning is making the Philippian Christians a crooked and twisted generation, but he's saying, hey, the crooked and twisted generation grumbles and complains. Let them do it. That's not for you, Christian. Does that make sense? That's not for you. That's for the crooked and twisted generation. And they have a ton of reasons to complain, right? It feels like we have a ton of reasons to complain. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, the Gentiles are without hope and without God in the world. So like everything we see that we complain about, the non-believer is without hope and without God in the world. There's no solutions. And so they grumble, they complain. But that should not be the reason for us. Make sense? We should not have reasons to complain. Why? Because we serve a God who's in control and he's promised us things. It's funny, when we watch movies that are a little more intense with our kids, like Lydia was gone for that women's conference, and I watched a movie with my kids that she was like, why'd you let them watch that? We watched Lord of the Rings. I mean, I didn't know how gory it was until I'm watching it with my little kids. I'm like, wow, orc blood is pretty scary. <laughs> a spear through the face. Oh, man, maybe we shouldn't be watching this. But we had a ton of great theological conversations that they don't understand any of it. But one thing that was cool, every time we watch a movie with Micah, Man, he feels every, like even when we watch Sonic, okay, I'll say that. When we watch Sonic, he's like freaking out. He like feels everything. Man, you read a book with that guy, he feels every emotion. It's really cool. But when the hero is in danger, you look at him and he's like, Ooh. and then all start complaining. I go, he's going to die. He's dead. He, oh my gosh, he's going to die. And Michael goes, no, the good guys don't die. The good guys don't die. The good guys don't die. And it's funny, he like talks himself out of it. He's like, nope, nope, they never die. They don't die. And he's feeling all the emotion. But when I'm starting to complain, he's like, no, they don't. Dad, it's not happening. Nope, don't complain. Don't say that. They're not going to die. And he's always right, right? And in our situations, that's what's happening. We're seeing evil win and are complaining and grumbling is agreeing with the world, but that should not be for us. Let the world do that who has no hope and without God in the world, but let us 
hold fast. Instead of complaining and grumbling, what do we do instead? Well, point number two, why should we do it? To be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of this crooked, twisted generation. And then there's a reason and there's a how to do it. And the how we do it is verse 16. Look it. We'll start in verse 15, actually. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation who's complaining, who's grumbling, who blames God, among whom you shine as lights in the world. How? Holding fast to the word of life. And so point number two, instead of complaining, instead of grumbling, hold fast and hold out. And so it's really cool. Paul isn't calling us to a life that just doesn't complain, that just doesn't grumble. He's calling to actually replace it with something. So he's like, hey, instead of complaining and grumbling, instead hold fast and hold fast to what? The word of life. And that word hold fast, it's really cool. It gives this picture of not only like holding on to an anchor, but holding out the thing that is giving you hope. Isn't that cool? And so it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. How? By holding fast, holding on. And so if somebody sees a Christian not complaining or grumbling, are we really shining as lights? No, the way that we shine as lights is by holding fast and holding out. And so they see turmoil going on around them. Your workplace is complaining about not getting a raise. Your workplace is complaining about their boss. And you are sitting there not complaining. Why? Well, I would say hold fast and hold out. So what you do is you beat your, you know, the promises of God into your head you know, God is in control. I know he's placed me here for a reason. I know that he's good. Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So you're holding fast secretly, and then you tell them you hold out your faith. You hold out your anchor, and you go, we shouldn't worry. You know, God is good. We shouldn't worry. It's going to be fine. God's going to work it out. Like, this is what gives me hope, is that I just know that God has been faithful to me in way worse situations, and he's going to be faithful to me in this. And so you hold fast and you hold out. And it's not technically talking about evangelism, but it is talking about basically showing why you aren't grumbling and questioning. So again, it's not, the goal is not don't grumble, don't question. The goal is to hold out your faith and show them why you're not. Make sense? And so point number two, instead, hold fast and hold out. And so I just want you guys to think through that this week. Hold fast and hold out. What am I called to do? Hold fast and hold out. So we are in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, not to just hold fast and only benefit us, or not to hold fast and complain about them. Look at they're going to hell. But we're actually in this world for a reason. Aren't we glad that someone held fast and held out to us? So how about you get on mission with Paul, get on mission with the Lord Jesus, get on mission with us, and hold fast and hold out? Because what did Jesus say in John 3.16 and on? He says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. But how many of us hold fast and then condemn? 
How many of us hold fast and blame? How many of us hold fast or say we're holding fast but grumble and complain about the crooked and twisted generation? No, we're to hold fast and hold out so they may leave that life. We were once foolish, led astray, mockers, drunkards, but the light of Jesus shone on us and we were saved. We were brought out of darkness into marvelous light and we are called on mission with the Lord Jesus, with Paul, with our church to hold fast and hold out. Let us be a people that's marked not by complaining and grumbling because we serve a huge God, a good God that's in control and will win. The good guys never die. You know, when we watch Lord of the Rings, you know, when Gandalf fell off that thing and gave his life, I was like, Micah, see, I told you, they died. And he's like, no, it can't be, it can't be. And then he was right. Movie number two, dang, came back. And good guys never die. And with our lives, we serve a powerful God that that's true. Evil will not win. You know why? Because the strong man is bound through the work of Jesus on the cross he was crushing the head of the serpent. And the serpent right now is wriggling, freaking out. Yes, yeah, still snapping, still, but he's going down. He's going down. And we are called to be the hope of the world and be on mission with God as we don't complain and grumble, as we hold fast and we hold out to the world and in hopes that God would be faithful to his word, which I know he will be, to save others through us. Amen? And then Paul gives a reason also why to hold fast and hold out. So he says right here, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Why? So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And he's using an emotional plea here with them. He's like, man, I... I put myself out. I worked hard for you. And he doesn't really cause doubt. He's like encouraging them through his example. Don't make it be that I ran in vain. But through his letter, you could tell that he doesn't think he ran in vain. He really does believe that God began a good work in them and will fulfill it. But he's using this as a way to hopefully encourage and stir them up so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And even more so, are we going to let Jesus' life and death be in vain? Or are we going to let his life, death, and resurrection that saved us accomplish in us and outside of us what it's meant to do? Let not Jesus' atonement be in vain. We have a ton of confidence. It's not going to be in vain. He's doing something. Let us get on mission with it. Let us be a part of that. And he's beckoning you to do that. Amen? Let us do all things without grumbling and questioning so that we may be lights in the world among this crooked and twisted generation. We do live among sinners. We were once one of them. But they're not to stay in that. We don't want them to stay in that. We want them to be with us. We want these seats to be filled. Let us go. Hold fast and hold out to this crooked and twisted generation around us, being examples to them by not grumbling, not complaining, by trusting in the one who judges justly.
and then why? So that Paul's life was not in vain. And then point number three, rejoice with me. Look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me read that one more time. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so one thing that's really cool is he's giving us this picture of this drink offering. And he says, what's the picture here? He says, even if I'm to be poured out on your sacrifice. And so look at it again. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And so there's two offerings kind of here. But it's a picture from, I forget the passage. This is why it's not good that I don't bring up notes. It's in Exodus, I think. There's this drink offering that they would do. They would offer this lamb this sacrifice and what they would do is they would take wine and as it was burning they would pour the wine on the sacrifice and as it would vaporize it would cause the steam to go up into heaven and they would see that as our God accepting and it going up to him and so it was this picture of the wine helping out that sacrifice mixing in with it and so Paul here is going I'm glad even if my life is poured out on your faith, on your sacrifice, even if my life gets poured out as a drink offering on your sacrifice of your faith, I'm fine. And I think he is talking about death here. Even if my life ends up in death, I'm fine with it. I am glad. I actually rejoice because you know why? Your faith is going to increase. My death mixed in with your sacrifice, your faith is only going to be more and more pleasing with God. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. They were probably stressed out that their beloved apostle Paul was in prison. But he's saying, don't worry about me. Even if I die you know, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's like, it's good. It's good for me if I die. And even if I die, I am glad because I know that even if I'm poured out on your sacrifice, on your faith, it's only going to make that sacrifice even more enjoyable to God. The Christian church is built off martyrdom. The Christian church, you know, when it gets revived is when people die. The Christian church, you know what causes us to move in our faith and live out our faith is when people die for the faith. And so Paul is going, I know death is good. It does not bother me. I will rejoice if I die because all it's going to do is be a drink offering poured out on your sacrifice of faith and it's going to be pleasing to God. Rejoice with me. He's like, don't worry about me. We're good. Rejoice with me. And then verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So point number three, rejoice with me. Regardless of what's happening in your life, rejoice with me. You know, one, one of my big pet peeves with some Christian teaching on joy and rejoice is they'll say, you know, happiness is what's happening to you, your circumstances. Joy isn't. Joy isn't based on your circumstances. 
That's foolish. All right, let's just, it's the same word. It's just a degree probably or just a synonym, if anything. It, joy is based on your circumstances too. But what it's doing and what Scripture says when we should rejoice, it's because there's a circumstance to trump every other circumstance that we're going through. And so if Paul were to die, he's saying, don't let this physical circumstance that you're seeing cause you to complain and grumble, but let the circumstance that we find ourselves in the Lord, in the presence of God and His power, rejoice. Because that circumstance should trump everything. So when we're anxious about something and we trust in the Lord, that's a true circumstance that we find ourselves in as children of God. I will not fear because I'm a child of God. That's a circumstance based in reality that we, not, we can't always see, but it's a true circumstance to, that should trump any circumstance that's trying to make it bigger than that. Amen? So joy is what's happening to you too. But your joy should not come from the perceived reality that we see. The joy should not come from your job status. The joy should not come from your marital status. The joy should not come from your singleness or what you do in life. The joy should come from your place and purpose in our Creator. He has saved us. He's redeemed us. He's placed us here. And is a good God. Every complaint that we do, we're not holding fast. We're not either realizing the reality that we truly find ourselves in or we're saying that this is bigger than God. That's a dangerous spot to be. And so I'd encourage us all, rejoice with us because God is good. For all you Avengers nerds, all right, in the first Avengers movie, I had to look it up last night. Lydia's like, you need to go to sleep. I was like, this is sermon prep, okay? I was watching a YouTube video. It's sermon prep. It's the Lord's work. I have to stay up. There's that part where, you know, at the end, Loki and Iron Man or Tony Stark are talking, and Loki says, I have an army. And what does Iron Man say or Tony Stark say? He says, we have a Hulk. You know, I think of that all the time. Because when circumstances come, it's like, we have an army. I'm like, I got a God. We have this. I got a God. There's death. I have a God that can resurrect. There's this. I have a God. It's like financial problems. I can pray and he can solve any financial issues. I have financial issues. I've seen money drop out of my Bible. It's amazing. We have a God on our side who cares for us and loves us. Why are we freaking out? rejoice with me they have an army we have a god we're gonna win good guys always live we gotta remember that we're gonna win and even if it ends in death in this life we have been promised through the work of jesus that we will rise again amen and so last verse i want to share with you guys look at first peter chapter two and we'll end in this first peter chapter two Starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. We've been called to what? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Whatever we go through, whatever we go through, hold fast and hold out. Hold fast so that we have an anchor for our souls in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And let that circumstance be overshadowed by the true circumstance we find in Scripture and in the person and work of Jesus. Amen? And as we do it, let us hold out that faith. Let us hold out the word of God and the reason why we're trusting him to the world that they may come and see him and know him and be transformed by him. We have a mission to take over this world. We have a mission to save this world, to transform it. And it happened starting with the cross where he satisfied our sins, crushed the head of the serpent, and it's this ripple effect that's taking over the world. And he will win. The good guys always live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your kindness towards us. And thank you so much for your, just your power, who you are. You are so impressive and we don't trust you as we ought. You know, including like we just grumble we complain but it's because we don't always hold fast as we should and so i ask holy spirit that you would please truly help us to really hold fast hold fast to your word to your gospel to your purposes and your abilities so many things going on in our lives that get us sidetracked and we need to be reminded that we are in your hands. Nothing can snatch us away from your hands. Nothing can take us away from your grip because you're a good God that's in control and all-powerful, more powerful than anybody or any other thing in this world, in creation, because you are creator and you are writing a story through our lives. You are completing that story and you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And so I ask that you would help us to live the life that you call us to live as we hold fast to your promises and who you are. We're so thankful for everything you've done for us. Please be with us. Be gracious. Be kind to us. And encourage us and strengthen our faith as we even partake of the Lord's Supper together right now. Lord Jesus, let us feel your presence, your real presence here with us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week.
and guide your steps. 